So Rachel, I have a thermostat story. Okay. So in 2002, when we were in the thick of demand response, uh, which I had, to, I had to look it up. I didn't know what demand response meant. <laughs> uh, I was talking with some folks and they said, we need to have some thermostats because we did direct load control and we turned off thermostats, but we need to communicate to thermostats. So I went looking and talking with HVAC distributors and I met this guy in the city industry of all things. And he had thermostats mounted on a board with a pager wired to them. So there was a separate pager on the board and it was connected to the thermostat. <laughs> and he says, this is what we use to control our business thermostats, okay? It was a physical pager because it didn't wasn't integrated into the system. And then after that carrier came out with the two-way paging and so forth, but you know, people figure out ways to do it one way or another. So that was Mark Martinez, Senior Portfolio Manager for Southern California Edison's Emerging Markets and Technologies Program. I am your host, Brian Junkers, the lead analyst in the research department at eSource. I sat down with Mark and Rachel Buckley, our Vice President of Enterprise Strategy and New Products at eSource, and we had a really interesting conversation about demand response and where it's headed next. Here is episode number two of eSource Power Talking. And good morning, Rachel. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us for the second episode of Power Talking. I'm excited to be talking with you today about demand response. I will always talk about demand response any chance I get. Yeah, well, you have been working on demand response for a little while now, huh? Pretty much since my first day at eSource back in 2000, I have been monitoring demand response technologies and smart thermostats and trying to help people in the industry think that demand response was important and that it was cool. Yeah, and we are fortunate to be joined by another demand response veteran, Mark Martinez from Southern California Edison. And you've known Mark for a while as well, haven't you? Yes, Mark and I have gone way back to my earliest days in the industry where he was running some amazing pilot programs at Southern California Edison to showcase new technologies and try out new kinds of demand response programs. And 20 years later, he is still on the cutting edge of demand response and is considered one of the foremost thought leaders and experts in demand response in the industry. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And of course, you know, when you find somebody that thinks demand response is cool, I mean, what's not to like, right? <laughs> we love it. <laughs> yeah. Got to strike while the iron's hot. Um, so before we get too deep into the weeds on all of the cool tech and programs from demand response, let's level set real quick, take a step back and, and talk about what demand response is. Demand response is one tool that utilities have to control the loads on their grid. So when utilities or grid operators learn of congestion or if there's some kind of emergency causing high prices, they can communicate with their customers and tell them to stop using so much energy at certain times or to shift their operations to later in the day. So with demand response programs, utilities would let end users know that it was time to take action. And typically in a commercial industrial facility, that would mean the building manager would walk around and manually shut things down. 
Um, in residential premises, often there has been technology that would automatically respond to a utility signal. That's been called direct load control. It's been called load management. But demand response is really an all-encompassing term. And it also is becoming more important as utilities have more distributed resources on the grid that this demand response can be a flexible resource. I think it's funny. Utilities, I demand that you respond. (laughs) But that's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, we try to say it in a nicer way. (laughs) (laughs) He tries. (laughs) Thank you for getting us all on the same page, Rachel. And now we're going to play a little game. This is uh, eSource Power Talking version of Two Truths and a Lie. I'm going to say three statements. Y'all can guess which one of those statements is not true. So first statement, uh, demand response has been around for at least 40 years. uh, And some of the initial research around it began with peak load management demonstrations run by the U.S. Department of Energy and the National Laboratories. Second statement, Demand response technologies used to be a major focus of North American utilities, but they have generally fallen out of favor with the shift more towards distributed energy resources like solar and battery storage. And third statement, uh, Rachel Buckley's professional nickname used to be the thermostat queen. (laughs) Okay, well, I know number three is absolutely correct. Matter of fact, that was our nickname for her over at SoCal Edison when she would swing by and talk about thermostats. Uh, Okay. So then, yeah, demand response has been around for a long time, I think. Um, I mean, it's had different names, like like Rachel said. Uh, As a matter of fact, back in the 1930s, when there was a big drought in Los Angeles, we used to ask the people, don't take the streetcar, the electric streetcar, because it was using too much electricity. So use it every other day, right? Mm -hmm. So in one form or another, it's been around for a while. But, you know, shame on you, Brian, to say that demand response technology is not relevant anymore. The number two. I don't know, Rachel, what do you think? Well, first of all, Mark, you don't remember that 1930s drought in Los Angeles, do you? No, I just read about it and I probably heard some blog talking about it. Or I mean, I know you're kind of the father of demand response, but I didn't think you were quite that. No, I'm not. I'm not the grandfather. No, not quite. <laughs> All right. Well, so yes, I definitely think that number two is a lie, that demand response technologies are not falling out of favor and they are becoming more relevant, more important for utilities as they plan how to have flexible resources in a more distributed grid environment. And the technologies that utilities and customers can use for demand response are actually becoming technologies that people want, whether it's a a household wants a cool new thermostat and more automated technologies for their home, and also building operators and facility managers like the automated controls that often can come with auto DR, automated demand response. And so I I definitely think number two is an absolute lie. (laughs) Yeah, I'll agree with that. I'm I'm easily swayed. Super lie, scathing even. (laughs) Okay. Well, you you definitely got that correct. Nicely done. Um, I think, Rachel, without a doubt, you have the longest view of anyone at eSource on our work and research, and um, including the initiatives that we're working on right now. So can you describe some of that work and and the evolution of demand response research at eSource? Sure. Happy to, Brian. Um, 
you know, the foundation of, of what we've done is advising utilities of program best practices, sharing results of programs with peer utilities so that utilities can benchmark themselves against each other and also make sure that they understand all the different kinds of programs that are out there. Through all of that, we have had a thread of thought leadership with emerging technologies for demand response, as we've talked about a bit as well. Most of this is enabling technologies that help homes or buildings or industrial facilities to automatically respond to demand response signals so that no one has to manually do anything. And as we've tracked all these developments with two-way thermostats and with automatic auto DR and building controls and lighting controls, really one of the key market disruptive forces was about 10 years ago with the introduction of the Google Nest thermostat. Mm -hmm. Because that was the point where regular consumers actually wanted the technology that utilities were trying for so long to get them to adopt. Um, and the same kind of thing happened with auto DR and with, and with building controls, but just while we're talking about thermostats, cause I love them, um, <laughs> we know that utilities have been working now for a while on bring your own thermostat programs where the utility doesn't just have to have one kind of thermostat that they give out, but a customer can bring your own device. So now we're seeing bring your own device pilots as well. So one of the threads of our research and consulting has always been the customer perspective of these programs and customer perspective of these technologies. And our consulting team, for example, has led journey mapping activities for utilities to help the internal folks at the utilities understand what do their customers think of these programs, because that's a really important part of expanding demand response portfolios at utilities. Uh, I would absolutely agree, Rachel. I mean, it's never really been about technology because technology has always been a solution that people figure out. It's, it's customer engagement. It's understanding customers. It's the relationship of demand response because these customers opt into these programs. They're not mandatory and they you know, receive electricity in accordance with you know their tariffs and so forth. But we want them to be partners in helping them help us. And so it's really been a good idea to use the, um, I think we were talking about these, the special analysis that looks at how customers can participate and how they can really better improve the programs because cost effectiveness is really important. Yep. If these programs get funded and we roll them out and we you know, sign up customers, but then when we send out signals or press buttons and nothing happens, then it becomes a, a lack of a verified resource. And so there's a lot of you know, criticism that says these things really don't work. Yeah. So that's really what we want to do is make sure that they are really more effective in the way that they can be. Because when a customer says, I wanna be part of this program, I wanna help out, and, you know, I, I recall the time when I was talking to one customer in a building and I asked him, why do you want to participate in this program? He says, because I want to give the hospital my electricity during these events. And I thought to myself, that's not exactly how it works, but it shows the enthusiasm that customers really have for participating in programs. And that's what we want to enable as much as possible, not only just through technology, but also through the proper targeting and proper enrollment practices. 
Yeah, that's right, Mark. And that's one of the things I'm really fired up about right now at eSource, that we have our new data science team that is helping utilities solve this exact conundrum where they need to get the right customers on the right programs because it is more cost effective if they if they know the people who've signed up are actually going to respond when when they need them. Absolutely. So we've actually worked on a couple of projects recently. Uh, one, for example, is with a Northwest investor-owned utility that was launching a peak time rebate program. And instead of just doing blanket marketing and, and hoping for the best, they were able to leverage our data science um, and using an e-source data set, which had 650 attributes on every household and fuse that with utility customer data and with smart meter data to run an artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithm to come up with exactly who should participate in this peak time rebate program. And they've had a lot of success with rolling that out and and getting folks to respond when they need to on that peak time rebate program. And similarly, with another California investor-owned utility, we help them improve the output of their demand response portfolio by 30% by actually modeling at the household level what the individual consumer behavior would be and forecasting what their impacts would be and then getting those people to participate in the right programs. So it's all really exciting um, as we blend together our our history of best practice research and benchmarking and helping utilities solve their current challenges with research and consulting, but also providing that forward-looking forecasting and predictive data science uh, to help improve the output of demand response portfolios too. Wow, we've we've come a long way then from sending out 10 million postcards and hoping somebody responds. <laughs> That's true. I guess so. Um, so a lot of exciting things going on, um, a lot of evolution in this space. What do you see as some of the biggest barriers holding back utilities from achieving their load flexibility goals? Um, is it regulatory environments, market dynamics, just commercial readiness of technologies? What is what is uh, maybe kind of the limiting factors here? Well, Brian, I would say basically all of the above, quite honestly. I mean, you know, Rachel and I and other folks know demand response very well. We know how it works. We know what's needed. But it's not something that customers or even a lot of utility folks are really knowledgeable about. You know, nobody tweets about it. We don't see it on Instagram and there's not a lot of blogs. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's top of mind for people. Okay. Yeah. It's only needed for emergencies. So it's kind of like the lifeguard that stands there and at the ready and in case you, you know, have a, a problem at the beach, then here comes demand response to the rescue. So getting all those challenges taken care of at once and getting the approvals and the funding and signing people up and getting their response is really not an easy task. But it's something that requires a fair amount of work and it's some innovation and it takes enthusiasm. And that's why it's not so much what your technical knowledge is, but do you really care about this? Do you really want to work on this? And are you enthusiastic about it? Then that's 90% of the game right there. And that's why we like to get people that are interested in this really involved. Mark, I have a question. Is there anything that you're doing this summer to prepare for the demand response season? I know you're launching new pilots and new programs and really doubling down on your efforts. 
But is there anything special that you're doing to to try to get more people to care or to participate? Right. And uh, it's, it's sort of like in California, we have, you know, earthquake awareness and we, we have uh, we want to tell people, you know, stay, store water and get a ready kit and so forth. But with electricity, you know, we're responsible for the reliability of the system. So we want folks to just to be aware that there are opportunities not only to participate in helping keep the grid safe, but also in helping them save money. So it's a lot of education and awareness. As I said before, it's a relationship. It's getting them knowledgeable, but we're also looking at improving our programs. Uh, one of the things that we did was look at all of the participants in a program, and some people really, you know, help out, and the others that don't really have a whole lot of load, they don't really provide a lot of energy reduction. So we really want to focus on those, and then of course we're providing more incentives to get people to enroll and ensuring that they're aware of the programs, and of course. The most important thing, Rachel, is the internal communications. Folks inside the company, you know, we're focused on grid management. We're focused on bill management and a lot of different issues with customer service. But uh, energy efficiency is still an important role to play. But we also want to make sure that when energy efficiency can't do the job, demand response does come to the rescue. And so there's a lot more outreach, education and awareness among all parties that really make a big difference. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, I've heard you talk before, Mark, about kind of the importance of technology connectedness and the communication networks for end use loads. And I actually ran into an issue with a, a pilot project I was supporting in San Diego with San Diego Gas and Electric. Um, they distributed uh, lots of batteries throughout uh, territory and were testing out their demand response potential and found that the total uh, dispatchable capacity was pretty low. Like in the best case, in one event, they had maybe 40% of the total capacity actually respond to the DR event and not even for the, the entire event length, which uh, is a little bit discouraging, but I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of factors there, um, like competing customer needs and value. You know, customers trying to use these batteries for demand charge management on their own side to reduce their monthly costs, but also that they were relying on the customers to uh, respond to manual day ahead uh, phone calls, emails, text messages, rather than automatic um, management of these these loads. So, um, what do you what are you seeing in that space? And do we need all of the above, all of the communication channels that we can get for this? Absolutely. I, I think that communication with systems and buildings and so forth is very important. Now, one of the things that we've been focused on for over 10 years or so has been machine to machine communications. So if, if a customer opts into one of our programs, we can enable their energy management system to be aware of alerts. Uh, you know, facility managers used to run around buildings and unplug ice machines and turn off light switches and so forth. Well, that all can be done automatically. And uh, we've had a lot of customers enroll in these programs. And that really makes it different because if they can enroll and allow their thermostat to set back two degrees or to have maybe the fans on their, you know, uh, air conditioning system slow down, then that really makes a bit of a difference. So there's a lot of work going on in California and across the country on secure communications, making sure that we have all the auto DR and all the IEEE stuff working. And I think that's really where it's going to really enhance not only participation, but also improve the impacts that we get from customers. We could always go back to that 
two-way paging system that you loved so much, Mark. Oh, I, I gave up that up with my Motorola flip phone and, and when I exited my MySpace account back in the day. So, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, pagers are actually very effective because they, they really cut through buildings very efficiently and so forth. And, um, you know, we didn't really want to become communication experts, but, um, you know, you find out what works and what doesn't work these days. Yeah. Now we have a new way to have two-way communications with Alexa and, and other smart home devices. Oh, absolutely. I'm a big fan of talking to your house rather than trying to look up an app or an email. And we're actually doing a fair amount of work with our uh, time of use rates. And we can ask Alexa with our smart energy skills, when is a good time to turn on my air conditioner? And you know, she'll respond, well, not before nine o'clock and not before five or whatever, you know, based on the rate. So that really helps with things. And if we can have Alexa maybe make a broadcast and say, well, tomorrow is a critical peak event day. So just FYI, you know, if you want to save energy, you can help out by doing these things. So those, those are the kind of things we're working on right now. See, I told you demand response is cool. Well, that's what Alexa says. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to ask her that question one of these days. <laughs> Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I think we're just about out of time, but just wanted to give you both the chance to say any last words if you have them. The one thing that's changed over the years, Rachel, is, you know, with load management and everything else has now been flexibility. So it's not exactly a yoga pose that we're talking about. It's really about how customers can shift their usage rather than turning things off. We want them to move the electricity usage so that we can integrate the renewables because we got a lot of those across the country and, and ensure that the grid doesn't have all the stresses that it needs. So we have the shift and shimmy and the shuffle and all these other wonderful things that are coming down the road. But uh, that's is the new models and the new forms of uh, demand response. So we're very pleased to be working on all those things. Well, and thank you, Mark, for being here and and for continuing to lead the way and, and innovate about demand response. And it's definitely an exciting time as people think about energy use more holistically and how they can manage their electric vehicle and all their smart home technology and what it all means in the bigger picture with climate reduction plans, climate mitigation plans, and overall carbon reduction goals. And so the work that you're doing and, and all of our research and data science and consulting at eSource about demand response is, is top of mind um, and a very exciting time to be working on this. I totally agree. And thank you for all the work you do, too. That's very encouraging and very helpful for all of us. Yes. Thank you both for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I hope you have a good rest of your day. So that was episode number two of Power Talking. I'm Brian Jungers. Thanks for tuning in and listening and making it to the end of the episode. We're getting really good response so far from this podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas about future episode topics or things you'd like us to cover, please reach out to us on esource.com and let us know what you think. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode, and we'll see you next time.